Jonah is where we find ourselves. Just after Obadiah, if you're not sure where to go, if you went to Daniel, just turn a few books over to the right. If you hit Micah, you've gone too far near the end of the Old Testament. We stand because we want to honor God and his word. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. A people who need your Holy Spirit and your presence to manifest in our lives. We believe that you do in fact inhabit the praises of your people and that your presence is here with us and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to be receptive and to believe what your word says. With all the noise of everyday life, work, of friends, of activities, of things we're doing. And this holy moment, as your people gather to glorify your name, would we be still and know that you are God. May you be glorified and honored at the preaching of your word and in our worship of you in listening and hearing and receiving your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, aloha, and how's it to you guys? You guys doing all right this morning? Three of you are okay. Praise God for the rest of you. Um, it's too late. I'm not going to give you a chance to recover after that. My name's Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm over the pastor over preaching and teaching. We are genuinely humbled and thankful that you take your Sunday morning to be worshiping Jesus with us. Of all the things that you can be doing this morning, you're here. Um, but we believe the greatest place to be is, is with the people of God, exalting our God together. That God does, in fact, show himself faithful in unique ways when his people gather. That's why we, we gather to study his word, to see what God has said, to declare the praise of his glorious name. And today we do that. We endeavor in a new study through the Old Testament book of Jonah. And, uh, and we at church, we, we value art, we value creativity. We actually worship a God who is creative. He is the author of creation, and we believe that bearing his image, our art can do just that. And so I know we've had some kind of different, unique artwork for the series of Jonah. Um, in case you want to stone me because you think we did that artwork on a Bible. It's not on a Bible, just so you know. That artwork that was done is actually on... The, uh, a poem called The Tempest, written by who? You guys know who wrote The Tempest? Shake okay, no, no Shakespeare in here, readers? Okay, that's fine. 
So um, anyway, just so letting you know, so you don't stone us or anything. That was, we did not defile a Bible with that. But obviously, that artwork is very symbolic of what we're going to learn about Jonah, his person, his nature, his character. Jonah is an interesting guy, as we will soon see. He is not the uh, stand-up guy many of us uh, kind of paint these biblical characters to be. Jonah is a book full of riveting plot twists and ironies throughout every verse. But Jonah does not stand alone in its truth. That is to say, Jonah is not an isolated book from the rest of the scriptures that kind of has its own message. Jonah is part of a greater collection of books of the Bible, 66 books with a vault of 40 authors, each with a unique writing style that share one ultimate underlying story. And what is the one ultimate underlying story of the Bible? Is that God saves. That God is a God of salvation. And Jonah is a book about God who saves because every character, every person we come across in this book is in desperate need of salvation the king of this wicked empire, or this city rather, Nineveh, he needs to be saved. Those citizens of that wicked city, also, they need salvation from God. The people on the boat, those poor fishermen on the boat with Jonah, they have no idea what's coming for them, right? Those guys, they, they need to be saved. And ironically, Jonah needs to be saved as well because there is no one on the face of this earth who is outside of the need to be saved from their sin to be need saved from their rebellion for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and jonah is a book about god who saves sinners including jonah they need salvation and so do we the Old Testament includes 16 books, uh, prophetic books rather, that are compromised of both major and minor prophets. And when we say a prophetic book, what we're saying is that Jonah is a book where uh, the word of the Lord comes audibly more likely than not to a prophet, and then that prophet receives the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, then to deliver that word to a people. Prophetic in that they are not mainly historical, not like the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Prophetic and then they're not poetic in like wisdom literature, like Psalm or like the, the Proverbs and Song of Solomon, among other books, nor do they chronological significant events of God's chosen people, Israel. Prophetic, like we said, that God speaks to a prophet. That prophet is called by God then to declare the truths that God gives them. And of these 16 major prophetic books, four of them are major prophet books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. The rest of the 12 are minor prophets, including Brother Jonah here being one of the minor prophets. Not minor in the fact of their significance, there, this is a significant book, but minor in the volume of words that they carry. It's definitely not significance because Jonah is a minor prophet with some, some major problems, right? 
And some incredible truths to be discovered and unpacked in this book. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. We're going to talk about this more in weeks to come, but that is the prophetic nature of declaring the truths of God, declaring and preaching the word of God, that whenever God's truths are declared, God will always confront people in their sin. The evil of Nineveh is before God, and God sees their evil. God sees our evil, and the prophetic nature of the word of God is that God's word goes out, and God calls us out in our sin. But what I love, though, about the call of Jonah here is that the call of God to Jonah is clear, is it not? Like, this is pretty simple. You read it, you're not confused, probably, of what Jonah is supposed to do here. Jonah is not unsure. Jonah is not confused. Jonah doesn't even seem that afraid to go preach to these enemies because, as we will soon see, he'd rather be thrown off a ship and die than go to Nineveh. He probably has some fear, but not riveted by fear. I don't think that's the main reason why he doesn't go. God's word could not be more clear to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and we know what Jonah says, right? No. God, God I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good. And this is like, we already know the story, so we kind of come to this story already knowing what happens, but this would have been uncalled for for any prophet during that day. Jonah is part of a heritage of prophets, he falls in the line of the lineage of prophets, like, like legend of guys, like Elijah and Elisha. That, that's whom he follows. Jonah is defiant. This guy is a punk. Jonah is the only prophet ever called by God whom received the word of God immediately, willfully, actively, at the very moment he received the call from God, actually rebelled from God. Yes, other prophets struggled. Yes, other prophets had fear. But Jonah stands alone and that he is in total rebellion, at least he is at the beginning, until God changes that for him. <laughs> and we dilute this book, this well-known tale, by moralizing its truths by saying, hey, don't be like Jonah, Christian, right? And, and there's some wisdom in that. <laughs> like, we shouldn't be like Jonah, right? We, we shouldn't. There are some good moral truths to pull out of this story, and we will, but that's not the main point. I believe it's well known. This famous story is told and understood, and as well known as it is, it's often misunderstood. The book of Jonah is not ultimately about Jonah. It's not even about a giant fish or a whale, or whatever Christians fight over those menial things, or it's not even about Nineveh. Jonah is about God. It's a book about God. It's a book for God. It's a book that reveals God to us, and it's ultimately a showdown of Jonah's will versus the will of God. Whose will is going to overcome? Whose will is going to be the strongest? The plans of man or the plans and the will of a sovereign God? And just think about this story, how we even come across this story. This story we have opened to is not the result of an, a man of obedient righteousness. 
Like we did not, verse one did not open with, and Jonah was sipping an herbal tea latte under a tree at the morning with a breeze wisping by him, just saying, here I am, Lord, send me, right? That's not Jonah. It's not him. It's about the initiating grace of God towards rebels. That's what Jonah is about. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, which means the word of the Lord calls Jonah, which means the word of the Lord goes after Jonah because Jonah is a book about the initiating grace of God regardless of the obedience or the disobedience of whomever would come across God's grace. And here's Jonah. He's not a self-appointed prophet, is he? He's not. He didn't like appoint himself. Jonah is just like, oh, word of the Lord came to him not a celebrity prophet. The only reason we ever heard of Jonah is because God chose to reveal himself to him. God chose to speak to him and his ministry was authenticated by God's call through God's spirit to declare God's truth. And that's what it means to be a minister, to be a leader, to be someone who God uses to declare and herald the beauty of the gospel. God calls, God fills that object with his Holy Spirit so that that person God called with his Spirit would declare the truths of God. That's how you can know ministry is authentic. So what we see here with the book of Jonah is true across the board with everyone who encounters God. Everything begins with the word of God. The inception of anything only happens because God speaks and God does something. Notice verse 1. Yes, we're still in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Again, like we said, probably by voice. Like Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Micah. Like Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Samuel, Elijah, Hosea. And how does the word of the Lord come to us? Well, through these prophets. The word of the Lord comes to us ultimately by the Holy Scriptures. That's actually why we had you open up in your Bibles because it's not about us gathering to hear the mere opinions of a man. It's about us worshiping and falling under a God who has spoken because we believe when the Bible speaks, it is God who actually speaks. There is no greater narrative we can listen to, no greater story we can be enraptured and and captured into. There's no greater truth we could submit our lives to because when God initiates, when God beckons us, God graciously goes after us. He does so by what? His word. Everything begins with the word of God, right? Like think about creation. There was nothing. And in the beginning, by his word, God speaks And he throws with the power of his word stars into the sky. He makes this fiery ball called the sun and the earth and these planets that go in orbit and galaxies and even on this earth he makes man. By his word does God do that. By his word, God calls Moses out of obscurity in the wilderness. He calls him to deliver his people from Egypt. By his word, God made the sun to stand still for Joshua's battle, miraculously, so that Joshua would be able to kill off all the enemies of the Lord. And by his word, Jesus leaves the glory of heaven for a grungy feeding trough on earth. For John 1 says what? 
In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. So the Word of the Lord, we need to view this. The Word of the Lord, when it comes to you, however it comes to you, is a means of God graciously moving towards sinful humanity. Everything begins with His Word. Everything. Your day should begin with His Word. Sometimes this, this, this book we hold here, we, we don't treat this book the way God treats this book. It's important to Him. God spoke to us. He graciously has moved toward us. Your, your finances should begin with the word of the Lord. Your relationships must begin with the word of the Lord. Your parenting and your family must begin with the word of the Lord. Your decisions in life must always begin with the word of the Lord. God's word is so important to himself that God esteems his word, the Bible. God esteems the scriptures equal with his very name. And let's just think about it. Like the name of God, the name is a label of a person, right? Name is the identity of a person. The name of God is kind of a big deal, right? Like if someone's named God, they're pretty big, right? And as big as God is, as big as his name is, he says, oh yeah? And my word is so valuable, so important to me. I esteem my name and my word at the same level above all the other things. For David said in Psalm 138:2, I bow down toward your holy temple, give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Do you value the Word of God? Do you see this book as God's initiating grace towards you? That he, he, didn't, he didn't owe any revelation to us at all, yet He gives it to us through His Word. Or is this just like a piece of decorative item that you leave on the coffee table or put next to your bedside? A lot of times we view this thing like, oh man, I, I gotta read the Bible. I guess pastor said on Sunday. No, man, this is an initiating grace of God that God would even speak to us to begin, to begin with. Like just go back to junior high, okay? Remember when you got that note from that girl you had a crush on, that boy you had a crush on? You're like, oh my gosh, like you couldn't wait to open it. In fact, you'd risk life and limb in that classroom to like open it up. You're like trying to hide it behind your books and you like stand up your mouth. Like, because you realize it's a love letter that reveals truth to you or reveals something to you. Guys, God has revealed himself to you. That he graciously pursues sinners because he loves them. This book is not a burden, it's a blessing. But do we value it? Do we value this as God values his word? He has revealed himself. He has spoken to us. He's, guys, listen, he alone has the words of eternal life. Like, as exciting as your Instagram feed is, it doesn't have the words of eternal life. It just doesn't. Yet, oftentimes I find myself sometimes that I'm tempted to see what's happening with the news or keep up with things that are going on in my phone instead of turning to the word of God. He alone has the words of eternal life. Guys, this is a grace for you. 
It's a grace for me. It's a grace for Jonah. So what does God say? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose. Whenever you see but there, it's like, dang it. Come on, Jonah. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So where is he going to? He's going to Nineveh. What is Nineveh? It's the Assyrian city. That is, over the years, the Assyrians have tortured and killed God's people. Nahum, chapter 3, uh, talks about that, that, that city, everyday life in that city. There's prostitution. They have witchcraft. There's physical, physical abuse was the norm of everyday life in Nineveh. In fact, some streets you would have to walk down according to Nahum chapter 3. You would have to step over dead bodies like to go to the marketplace in Nineveh. That's how messed up this city is. And so God sees this city and he says, there evil is ever before me. And so like, you have to wonder, like, if you're a Jew picking up this book, or if you're even like Jonah and the word of the Lord says, oh, I have a word concerning Nineveh. You know what you're thinking as a Jew? Nineveh, Nineveh's about to get lit, right? Not like hashtag lit, but like literally lit. You know what I mean? Like Sodom and Gomorrah lit. In fact, the other time, only other time God says when their evil is up before me when it comes to speaking of impending judgment is Sodom and Gomorrah. So for sure, Jonah's thinking, this is going to get good, God. This is going to be awesome. Wait, what? Because oftentimes prophets would just go there proclaim the, the judgment that was going to happen. But Jonah says, God says to Jonah, I have seen their evil, so go tell them, arise and go. And that word for arise and go is not like as though Jonah was like crashed on the couch and like me trying to wake up my kids to go to school in the morning. Guys, get up, wake up. The idea of arise and go is speaking of urgency. The language in the, the Hebrew here is saying, get up like now, make this happen now. Go to Nineveh now. Don't delay. I know it's going to be hard. I know you're not going to like it. I know you don't want to go, but go because it needs to happen now. So Jonah's like, I wonder like, what's going on in his head at this moment. Like, for real? Like, wh why do I have to rush? Like, what's the big deal? And so what does he do? He goes down to Joppa. And he wants to go to Tarshish. In fact, Tarshish is like mentioned here three times. You're like, I got it the second time. Why did he have to mention it the third time? Because he's just trying to paint this picture. Jonah is not going where God wants him to go at all. So geographically for us to understand the, this is not a humorous book. This is actually a really serious, wicked book that reveals God's rebellion. But there is some irony and humor in it. Nineveh is 500 miles, north, 500 miles northeast of where Jonah is right now, okay? So imagine 500 miles northeast. Where's Tarshish? 2,000 miles west. The furthest he could conceivably go in that era during that time in the world. It's actually believed to be the southern tip of Spain. So here's, here's brother Jonah. Gotta love the guy. Go where you want me to go? Oh, okay, I'm going to go 2,500 miles away from that. Sound good? All right? 
So like you see the extreme rebellion of Jonah here that it's not just like, I'm going to kind of move towards like Nineveh and then like last second, I'm just going to change my mind like to kind of be sly in my rebellion. I'm just going to tell you up straight now. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to be obedient to you. And that's what Jonah does. Why doesn't he go? He doesn't want to. How's that for theology this morning? What did you learn in church? Jonah didn't want to go. But it's true, he didn't want to go. Jonah didn't want what God wanted, did he? God wants to save Nineveh. Jonah doesn't. And that's the inception of this famous story. And this book would have been a lot shorter, right, if Jonah just said, okay, I'll go, right? It would have been like three verses. Jonah went, they got saved. The end. But of course, we know that's just the beginning of this famous wild story that actually happened. Jonah really got swallowed by a whale. People are like, did you really believe that? We're going to get there next week. Of course he did, because Jesus refers to it. He quotes Jonah, and Jesus made Jonah so Jesus would know. And if we believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, everything begins with his what? His word. If we believe that to be true, then we have no problem believing in this story. So what happens then? Jonah arrives in Joppa safely. It's like actually sunny the whole way. No traffic. Everything was fine. Gets there. There happens to be a ship at the port waiting for him. Coincidence? I don't think so. Where is this ship going to? Tarshish. It just so happens to be on Jonah's bucket list where he's been wanting to go. But you know, there's probably not going to be another seat available, and I'm sure it's all booked out, but guess what? There's one more seat that's going to cost him 1400 bucks, right? So he's like, I don't know if I have 1400 bucks. So sure enough, he searches himself. He pulls, I, have ex- I have the exact amount that I need to go. So he gets on board, and he stows away his carry-on. The, the, the ship attendants start giving their safety talk, and as he does, he puts his earbuds in, puts on his favorite traveling playlist, kicks up his feet, looks out at the smooth, glassy ocean, and he's like, man, I must be blessed right now. Everything is just going so well for me, right? I know what God said earlier. But everything is lining up right now perfectly, providentially. Maybe God is okay with this after all. And I'm afraid, sadly, that this is how many Christians discern the will of God for their life today. And that's a dangerous thing because if we only discern God's will by prosperity and seemingly open doors, we rationalize the word of God and naively assume assume that God is okay with our rebellion. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless you. He wants to bless Nineveh. I'm just not saying it might not happen the way you expect it to or the way you even want it to or like it to. And when you try to run from God, listen to me on this, when you try to run from God, there will always be a ship waiting for you. Every time God provides a plan and a way, Satan always provides a plan and a way that is counterfeit to what God would offer. Especially in our moments of rebellion. And so at this moment, Jonah's selfish will and God's sovereign will are at odds with one another. 
So pushing aside kind of the romantic circumstances of God providentially providing or seemingly providentially aligning all things up, God still said to Jonah, go. Jonah is still saying no to God. And with every step toward Joppa and with every breath of wind that carried Jonah further along the sea, he is moving into deeper and deeper rebellion against God. How are you going to respond when the word of the Lord comes to you and it conflicts with your personal desires? How are you going to receive the word of God when it comes to you and it's not what you want to do? It doesn't fit your agenda. It doesn't fit your desires. It actually challenges those things. Jonah runs from God. Are you running from God this morning? Has God's word by the scriptures convicted you about something that shouldn't be in your life and instead of you confessing those things, you've instead ran from him? Or maybe God's word has convicted something in your life that, sh- that isn't there, that should be there, and God is convicting you on that. And instead of you being obedient and asking God to help you by his grace, you rebel. Are your personal desires conflicting with God's will and word for your life? Let's get even more personal if that's like not personal enough, right? Is God calling you to do something hard? Like, did Jonah want to do this? No. Is God calling you to do something that you don't want to do or something that aggravates you? I have found in my life rationalizing the word of the Lord to justify my selfish will and desires. Like I grew up, I maybe, maybe some of you guys heard this growing up from your mom. I grew up hearing this from my mom. She's like, Travis, you have selective hearing. I'm like, what does that mean? Exactly, right? Like, you know, and I just only heard what I wanted to hear. When I wanted to hear it and how I wanted to hear it. And sadly, I think many of us approach the word of God with the same way. We have selective hearing. We only hear what we want to hear, and what we don't want to hear, we don't want to hear. And Jonah has selective hearing. But our avoidance of God's word and our reluctancy to arise and go reveal the rebellion that lies within our own hearts. See, many people claim to love God But like Jonah, they refuse to totally surrender their entire life to his word. Will we surrender our hearts to the sovereign Lord or will we live for our own selfish will and desires? Jonah ran. And how does that work out for him? Look look at verse 3. We're going to get into this next week, but look at verse 3. He went down the middle to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. This is ironic. Jonah paid the fare to run away from God and pay he will. The fees of rebellion are always more expensive than we ever could have imagined. 
sinful rebellion will take you further, hold you longer, and will cost you more than you want to pay. So guys, this is just a loving reminder because I love you and I care for you. When the word of the Lord comes to you, it's not a curse. It's a grace. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. Receive it. Believe it. Stand upon it. Submit to it. When God says arise and go, you arise and go. Why? Because whenever God calls, his grace will always empower you to do what you do not think you would be able to do otherwise. He will help you. He will sustain you. And he will carry you. Believe these things to be true. Now, like we said, yes, this is a sober warning for us all. Rebellion is expensive. Don't be like Jonah. Okay. But if this, is, if this book, if this story is ultimately about the grace of God, of God's movement towards rebellious humanity, let me ask you, is Jonah obedient, awesome, or righteous in this moment? No. Does God know Jonah is going to flee and try to run from his presence before he ever calls him? Yeah. And does he call him anyways? Yes, he does. You cannot outrun God's grace. You cannot sin faster than his grace can cover. As the Puritans referred to God, some of the Puritans referred to God as a hound of heaven. Like, and we're going to see um, God pursue and go after Jonah. He's going to, I mean, it's awesome. You know what happens. It's just awesome what God does. Are you in rebellion this morning? Are you running from God? God has come to you by his grace through his word. Confess. Believe. Don't run. Because you can't outrun him anyways. But repent and believe on his name. And you will be saved. Because as Jonah 2.9 says, which is the salvation of this book, and I believe, really, this, the story of this book, rather, summation of this book and the summation of the whole Bible, the end of Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may we receive your word with grace. May you grace us with your word that we would believe that by your spirit these things would reign true in our hearts that we would see you as a gracious God, as a God that by your grace you have to deal with wrath and with evil, but even in dealing with that, you send your son Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us to save us from our own rebellion. Yes, Jonah was a disobedient prophet, God, but you sent Jesus as the greater Jonah the one who would rise again on the third day and conquer sin and death, who is perfectly obedient to your call, even if it meant crucifixion on a cross. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Holy Spirit, would you enable us to live a life that we could not live on our own? Help us to repent. 
to see you and your word is a grace. May our lives be in total, complete surrender to your word, whether we like certain parts of what you call us to do by your word or not. And if you do not know Jesus this morning, pray. Confess. Stop running. Because he has graced you. He has revealed himself to you by his word. And believe on his name. Because our God is a God who saves. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.